Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited about today's episode. Today's guest is a demonstrated leader in both supply chain management and marketing. He's experienced in demand planning, forecasting, master scheduling, procurement, sourcing, supplier relationship management, and so much more. He's currently a senior planner and change management specialist at Occitano. Please welcome Jimmy Allier. How are you, sir? Doing great. Thank you for having me. Really excited to have you here and uh, really enjoyed our, our prep call in uh, leading up to today. So I'm, I'm looking forward to getting started here. Let me just start the way that we always do on this podcast and ask you what you feel is the biggest challenge you see facing the desolate workforce. It's always going to be communication. It is, you know, ever since the iPhone came out and we entered the digital age officially, we started migrating from good old fashioned in-person meetings to phone calls to text messages, video chatting, and so on. You know, what's happened, and I think the biggest challenge we're seeing is that the reliance on communicating via technology is that how can we convey our tone of voice, our emotions, and connect with our workforce, regardless of your position, and make a sincere connection. And that's the challenge based on change management that we're facing. I think that's, it's really interesting. You, you've called out something that I haven't had a lot of other guests talk about, but I think you're absolutely spot on that it is a, a legitimate challenge today, which is just that the way that we've communicated, and, and I would say that that's accelerated over the last 18 months, driven in part because of the pandemic it's forced us into a lot of new communication. And, and as a technology guy, what's interesting to me about that is there are no new methods of communicating today that didn't exist before COVID, but we've adopted them at a pace that's just unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And that does extend all the way out to the frontline workforce. So do you think that, I mean, have, have you witnessed that the pandemic is, has caused this change to happen? Or do you think some of this is, was happening even before the pandemic? Oh, it's speeded it up. I, I definitely agree with you. It's forced us to adapt and not as quickly as we might have anticipated, you know, just a few years ago. So, and it's not getting better. So we're having to learn to adjust and we're also having to learn to convey expressions while wearing a face mask. And I think in, the funniest thing I always say in a meeting is, Oh my gosh, I didn't realize, and I'm talking about a video meeting, that's what you look like without a face mask. Like, who are you? <laughs> but yeah, it's an interesting point. And it's like, wait, that's what you look like. Okay, good. You know, it's really interesting. Uh, you, you just said something else that, it, you know, 
at work, we are using so much video conferencing now where we don't have to use face masks. And so I don't think I notice as much of what you just described when we're in the work context lately, where I notice what you're describing is outside of work when we're in a restaurant. Yeah, in fact, I probably notice it the most in a restaurant. Fortunately, down oh. in Texas, you know, as you know, in Texas also restaurants have been open for a while here, but everybody's face masked in the restaurants. And so just even communicating with a waiter is really difficult when they're wearing a face mask and you have background noise and you, you don't realize how much you depend on the body language and kind of reading lips and things like that and the expressions until you don't have access to them. And so that's a, a really interesting point that you raised there. Yeah, it's funny how, you know, the littlest of things can make such a huge difference. And it's kind of like a, a bubble burst when someone points it out. So, yeah, I think we've been we've all been through a lot of those experiences over the last 18 months of, of seeing kind of a, a new version of the, the reality for ourselves. And uh, even though I, I find myself, I hate that expression, and yet I find myself keep using it because it's uh, it, it is it's there. There's just some things that are going to be different for us for, for some time. So it's um, it's all been an interesting experience for those of us that have been through it together. So let's let's switch over. I really want the audience to get to know a little bit about your background. So let's just start off with, with what you do today uh, at Axitano. Tell us about your role and, and kind of what you do on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. Sure. So basically I started with this company. It's a Brazilian, currently a Brazilian owned chemical manufacturer of agricultural products. So we're shipping to countries to help feed the world where crops don't easily grow. I know the big trend is organic, but you've got to realize there are places in the globe where that's just not possible. And that's one of the things that attracted me to this company. And not to mention my best friend who I started working with back in 2016 worked there uh, and he recruited me and he said, hey, they've got some challenges, we're growing and we basically just fired four planners and schedulers and demand planners, and they replaced them with me, but I need help. So basically they got rid of four younger people who were experienced, but not quite experienced, such as my friend and I. And we go around and we're running the planning department at the plant in Houston. And basically trying to improve the processes and get them out of the middle ages of paperwork and trying to go digital and say, it's okay if we don't have a filled out ticket to produce this material, I will send you an email authorizing it. Don't stop production. And for whatever reason, do not call me at three in the morning. So that's a definite sign that change is needed. So here I am. So your original role was really not necessarily just about change management overall, but actually about implementing new technology to, to streamline and, and create efficiencies in the organization? A little of each. During the interview, which was done via Zoom uh, with my current boss, who was in Mexico at the plant there at the time, we talked for a good couple of hours about this isn't only planning. I'm hiring you based on your experience to implement changes to improve our efficiency because we currently produce X amount a month. We need to triple it immediately or else. And 
that's the challenge. So change management was a necessity. Not only is that just a regular thing in planning and manufacturing to begin with. So that's interesting. So what what were your experiences that led up to being qualified for the role that you're in today? Well, it all comes down to basically seeing how do I make things better? How, does it, how do I make my job easier? And I, that's such a generic statement, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to just reference my father, who was an experienced chemical engineer, and he worked his way up on the project management side, oil and gas. And I still remember at age three or four, he told me the simplest thing that I still remember, and it stuck with me. Jimmy, it's your choice. We can do this the easy way or the hard way. What is it? I have lived my life every day since then looking for the easier way to do things, because there is nothing like having to take cough syrup when you're three years old and your dad is holding you down and your mouth open yep. to make you realize that's a very simple choice. So, uh, but that's what got me to change management. I've worked across two different industries on both sides of the coin, sales and marketing, and then supply chain. And there are always ways to improve customer service or to improve supplier management? And how do we become basically more responsive and efficient, which is basically the dilemma in supply chain and always will be. And I see technology is helping us get there. What was your education background prior to getting into, uh, into the workforce? I have a degree, a business degree in marketing from Texas A&M. I have an MBA from Houston Baptist University. And I have a business degree in supply chain management from the University of Houston. So I'm a big believer in learning. I use my education to get ahead. And I read articles pretty much every night on latest trends and new ideas Um, I've just never been a big TV person to where I, that's all I watch. It might be on in the background, but I'm usually on one of my tablets or LinkedIn on my phone, reading up on who's doing what and who's working on the latest trend. And is it feasible in my situation at my company? Right. So, yeah, that's good. And you may have ans- answered my next question to some extent when you told the story about your dad and the cough syrup, <laughs> but <laughs> what was, uh, what was your path to innovation and, you know, how did you get excited about looking for ways to, to use technology to make things easier? So you, you talked about making the decision that it can be harder, it can be easy, but, um, you know, what, what was your path to innovation? Well, initially it started when I was in marketing and advertising and sales, And the iPhone came out in 2007 and made everything digital and flipped the industry upside down. I wrote an article on it in 2011, which was published in the Harvard Political Review. Um, Just because I posted it on my web, my online resume and blog, and I was trying to get a job in supply chain and redo and reinvent myself 
as a supply chain professional. When I joined an oil and gas subsea equipment manufacturer, it was the number one company in the world. I would like to point out, we were not the guys that created the BP oil spill. It was the other guys. Good note. But I will say this, that forced us to document every single quality concern. And that slowed down manufacturing completely. So we had to find a way to maintain quality fix things, document things, get approvals from multiple quality assurances and make them faster. So we had to. And the coolest thing I learned because I'm a frontline guy from the beginning and I started out on the floor of this manufacturing assembly and my boss at the time gave me a tablet And it wasn't an iPad, it was an off-brand tablet, but it worked. And it was the first tablet I had ever seen with SAP on it. And I didn't have to sit at my desk anymore. I could be walking around each stage of assembly and machining processes and welding shop and get the order status right then and there to the person doing the job who knew more about it than I did, but I could feed him the information he needed to keep things flowing from a business perspective. So that drove me and inspired me to use technology to make things better. Now, as that company folded and got bought out, basically when oil prices dropped in 2016, I joined another agricultural chemical company. And it was the same deal. We were using paper, to fill out production reports, inventory. Um, I'm not going to say their name, but I will say in the first three months, because I was the new guy, that the site controller flat out told corporate he was not going to sign off on our end of the year inventory report unless we had an outside auditor verify it. So that basically gave me the opportunity to walk around a 168-acre facility that was all asphalt in the Houston heat in August uh, with auditors looking for inventory in 10 different warehouses and four different production units. And I knew there had to be a better way. That also drove me to change management (laughs) and what can we do better. In those two positions, I learned that There are actually good processes. I started doing my own research. I joined groups on the company's websites internally. And I started researching, hey, there's actually groups that talk about process improvements and what they did there to get better. Inside the organizations that you worked in previously? Yeah, and more and more popped up. Whereas in the beginning, there was nothing. It was just there was a business excellence department. No one knew what they did. It was just a couple guys walking around asking questions. And it was very rudimentary. But as the years went on and they went quickly as technology is moving, I started seeing more and more material available and groups available and discussions online that talked about the different change management processes each person in each department used. And 
that's what inspired me to where I am today because it's very simple. We adapt or we die. So I love it. So uh, kind of necessity is the mother of invention here. It sounds like you just saw that these were, um, you know, it was untenable for, for you to continue in the way that you were doing things. And, and it kind of uh, encouraged you or forced you to, to look for more innovative solutions. I, I think that's great. Yeah. Thank you. T- tell me about what you're passionate about outside of work. I think I might know the answer to this based on the image that you had on, uh, on your zoom thumbnail, but, uh, maybe that's not it. And our audience didn't get a chance to see that. So tell us what you're passionate about outside of work. Oh, I, I live at guitar center and all the guitar shops around town. I've been playing all my life and I buy and collect guitars. I currently have about 22 of them in my house, give or take a few, depending on, am I bored on the weekend? And, you know, it's interesting. The salesman there call me if they don't see me over a month for a welfare check, not to sell me on anything, but just to check on me. So I don't know if they're really good or really bad. I'm not sure which one, maybe a little bit of both. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) So I do that outside of work. But you know what? It's kind of like when we we look for inspiration on other areas. Music's another way for us to communicate. It clears your mind. And all of a sudden, you're playing a song, whether you wrote it or it's something else, and it gives you a new idea. Because you're, you're not focused on work. You know, if you focus so much on work, you just get tunnel vision. But that's what's, you know, it's great that I have a hobby that can give me that inspiration i need so you know for for me that release is mountain biking and i find i've had some of the best ideas or at least i think that they're my best ideas uh when i'm out mountain biking when i'm actually not trying to think about work or think about a problem in particular but i'm just freeing my mind of of all of those other things and i'm just trying to avoid crashing into a tree and uh you know lo and behold some of the the best ideas come from that and thank goodness for siri because you know i say i say her name which i'm not going to say it again now but uh (laughs) you know i I say her name and i say hey remind me about this idea you know later uh yeah so and and i keep writing but but that you know that to me is just a, a sign of it just my head being totally clear and it sounds like you're getting the same thing from uh you know from guitar playing and i think that's awesome Thank you. Yeah. And you're exactly right. You know, when you're in, in the zone on something else, you know, it's like your best ideas come to you. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, singing in the shower clears your head and yeah. You know, you jump out of it. I've got a great idea. I should probably dry off first. If you're trying to get me to admit to singing in the shower in the podcast, I'm not going to do it. So (laughs) I'm going to move on to the next question here. It was Uh, worth a shot. (laughs) It was good. It was a good try though. Uh, But I I do want to kind of go back to the main thing that we, we talked about at the top. Um, which was, you know, the, the challenge from the frontline workers and, and you positioned it as, you know, um, communication and the change of communication and the, the necessity of that communication. So that's your view of what their challenge is. What do you think they would say, the frontline workers in your organization today and, and maybe those in other organizations that you've worked with, how do you think that they would articulate what they feel is the biggest challenge, uh, you know, in their lives today? You know, it's, it's something we touched on during the, the prep call about ideas, you know, and we were brainstorming about what to talk about. It's 
a different workforce. We're seeing a generational gap that we've never seen before. We're seeing millennials who have grown up with technology since they were toddlers and it's natural second nature to them. I don't see it so much as upper management preaching down to the worker, frontline workers. I see it as a horizontal company where the frontline workers are talking to upper management and saying, hey, we should be doing it this way. And it's interesting to see their, how they sell their ideas to upper management, which tends to be more effective because they're not forcing it on them. They're telling them, hey, we want to be more efficient. This is a better idea. And as I guess you could say, as a generation Xer, I'm having to learn, okay, that is a good idea. How do I do it? And I'm having to go to them to get taught how to work their ideas with their technology. And they have a lot of great ideas. And if you don't empower them and listen to them and give them, give them that microphone to speak up, then you're going to see companies fail. And the upper managers, the older, more experienced workforce is going to get pushed out. And we're, it's going quicker than we thought. Just like, say, changes in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. You know, things change from the baby boomer, baby boomer generation compared to their parents. You know, World War II versus Vietnam. It's there are big changes there. Well, that's happening now with technology, and it's going at light speed, in my con- my view. Yeah. And the conversation is going both ways, and it's a lot more receptive than it say would have been a few years ago. Yeah, you know, you're reminding me of a story that the story is getting a little bit old now. Um, cause I, I think this is probably going back at least four or five years, which seems like a long time <laughs> when we're talking about technology and, and evolution there. But my son, uh, I walked by his room one day and he was laid out on the floor playing a video game and he had his iPad propped up next to him. And it kind of caught me by surprise because usually it was either he was on his iPad or he was playing a video game, but not both. And I, it just caught my attention. And so I went and asked him, you know, what, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm watching a YouTube video. And I said, well, it looks like you're on, you know, playing your video game. He said, yeah, I'm doing that too. Well, essentially what he was doing was he had a YouTube video up on his iPad that was about how to play this game. And he was using them and he was basically pausing the video on YouTube. And he was going back to his video game to, to do what he had just learned. And I said, you know, who told you to do that? Did you find a, a buddy or something? He goes, no, I just, I just did it. Like it, it was it was the dumbest question I could have asked him in his mind, right? It was just like, dad, this was just so obvious and intuitive. Like, what are you thinking about? And, yeah. and I, you know, I've thought about that, that experience a lot because he is, you know, part of the next generation that's going to be coming into the workforce now. And that was just a very obvious way for him to learn. Like I've got access to the information. I go to YouTube, I can do a quick search for Minecraft or whatever game he was playing at the time. And I'm going to actually learn on the fly here. You know, I'm going to learn, uh, the technology using technology. Right. And, and I just thought, man, that was so fascinating. And then what we see in the enterprise world is we're not really keeping up 
with providing the workforce with YouTube-like functionality to make things accessible to them so that people can just go search and find the content that they want. And um, so I, I think there's a lot to what you're saying here that I do think um, not just the, the youngest members of, of society, but I think a, a lot of the generations that are in the workforce today, we're all using YouTube and, and other resources like that. And I think we have a responsibility as change management professionals and as technologists to make sure that we're, we're giving those workers that same, you know, consumer-like uh, technology experience uh, in the enterprise. That's a great example and a great point. You know, it's so relevant to today's world to where, hey, we need to have the information right here, right now, because we don't, in manufacturing, ever want to stop producing provided there's demand. It is the commandment manufacturing, thou shall not stop production. So how do we do that? And these younger guys who are getting older, as we get older, that is so natural for them to do it. And we've got to adapt in order to keep up with them. Yeah. And we've got to keep that connection with them. Otherwise, we're going to lose them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I do think that that's a, a criteria that some, um, you know, younger folks coming into the workforce or uh, might uh, evaluate a potential employer on is what tools are they going to have at their disposal? Uh, and certainly my, my son's in college right now. And it's interesting, you know, he's got a brand new laptop and he's got access to all of these systems. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a very technology centric, you know, university. And, and so he's going to come into the workforce expecting that he has the same, you know, level of tooling available to him, uh, you know, when he comes into the workforce. So it's, it's interesting to see that transition. I, there's, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the future of work and, and I'm, I'm going to kind of put a placeholder in that a little bit, but I, I want to come back to a little bit the current time and say, it just kind of gets your take on how much do you think the frontline workforce has changed during the pandemic? I mean, you know, folks like you and I, who are knowledge workers that typically would have been working in a corporate office, um, you know, there are a lot of things that have changed for us, but how much have things changed for the frontline workers in the organization that you are at today and, and in other organizations that you've worked around? It's definitely made them scared because their health, their family's health, their friend's health, it, it's all relevant and on the line. And the old saying of it's just business, it's not personal. It's both. It's personal. Yeah. And having this terrible pandemic hit us has changed their work habits. Whereas in the old days, you'd have a couple guys working on the same project side by side. You can't do that anymore. You've got to have distance between them. You've got to have tools wiped down. You've got to have that steering wheel on the forklift drive, you know, wiped off with the Clorox wipe before the next, next guy will use it. And it's scary and you can't help but feel for them because I'm one of those guys that goes out to the field to check on them because they're friends. They're not just coworkers. They're my teammates and I want to make sure they're okay. And a lot of times they don't always know the you know, most up-to-date information on this COVID virus and the variants that are hitting us. So we talk to them 
and we listen to them. And I think listening is the best thing we can do for them instead of waiting our turn to talk. And that's a very difficult soft skill to master. And by listening to them and letting them express their concerns to us, and then coming back to them when we've got better answers, instead of answering right away, that builds trust. They feel safer. Safety always comes first. And because without them, we don't have a company. We don't have products to sell. They're our workforce. They're, our, they're the guys and gals that are delivering our products that we sell and manage. So if we don't take care of them, we're not taking care of anybody. You know, there's one, one phrase, I'm sure it existed before COVID, but I, I don't recall hearing it used as much. And that is referring to the men and women you were just describing as essential workers. And, you know, it's, it, it's easy to joke. There are certain things that have been very public about, you know, the shortage of toilet paper, right? Well, somebody had to make toilet paper, somebody has to ship toilet paper, somebody has to put the toilet paper on the shelves. Uh, we take a lot of that stuff. We have taken a lot of that stuff for granted. It's, I, I think the pandemic has certainly uh, raised awareness of the essential nature of a lot of, of workers, um, and particularly those men and women that are on the front lines. By the way, for those who haven't heard me say this 3,000 times before, they represent roughly 80% of the global workforce. So most of us that are complaining about too many Zoom meetings and uh, you know whether we're going to work in our kitchen or our living room today, uh, you know, we haven't experienced what these men and women out in the field are experiencing. And you just talked about safety and, and genuine fear um, that they have. It's, it's a really interesting point. So you're the second podcast guest to talk about the fact that they used to work in groups and now they have to work independently more. And that's a really interesting thought because I've heard uh, other men and women that are on the front lines refer to themselves as feeling like they're out on an island. And, you know, it's, it's a good way to describe or create a visualization for how they're feeling, but they do feel very isolated. And I think this experience for them has probably um, made them feel even more isolated than they may have felt before. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's sad, but true. And it's happening more and more, just like you said, and the term essential you know what? Everyone is essential. It doesn't matter what your job title is, what you do. You're essential. You matter. And whether you're a frontline person, a middle manager, an executive, if you don't feel valued, you're not going to be there. And if you don't feel safe, you're not going to be there. And how do we connect with these people who are having to work alone when they're used to working with their friends by their side, because you spend how many hours of your life at work? It's more than you do at home, yep. you know, and hopefully we can get that through technology and having a more personal connection. Even if it's just, you brought up your son using a tablet while he's basically multitasking. Mm -hmm using a zoom meeting while you're working on a project is just a way to talk to your coworker who's 20 feet away. Yep. Something like that can bridge that gap and that personal connection we truly need because 
the customers aren't always right, but they will always be happy if our employees are happy because they are the first people to deal with our customers. That's right. So hopefully we can use that. So I, I agree with you. Them being on the front lines, it's part of their definition, right? So they're they're out representing the company, representing the brand, actually doing a lot of the work that the company is, you know, perhaps known for. And yet we're we're pushing a lot of transformation out to them, right? This digital yeah. transformation is fairly pervasive. Uh, we're seeing particularly a lot of uptick on the front lines where we're expecting these frontline workers to use more and more technology to do their job. Um, but you know, all of that transformation involves a lot of change. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but if that change isn't managed effectively, then these things aren't going to be effective. So help us understand what you think are, are some of the strategies that, that you've seen be most effective in terms of helping, you know, this very specific group of workers, these frontline workers, um, be f- uh, effective and successful with some of the digital transformation initiatives that you've been around. So, what I see and what I do is basically let's, let's choose a change management process just for this example. So we'll use the ad car method, which is a, to me a very simple, easy to understand. I know it's been discussed on your show. It's all over the internet. It's very easy to, under, to grasp the concepts. The hardest one is reinforcement. And you can create the desire. You can have that willingness to change. You can have the skills for it. You can be taught that. You can learn it. Um, My mother is a teacher, and she has her master's in education. And the one thing she embodied in me is that different people learn differently. So you've got to find a way to teach them, which can be done. You just keep trying different methods, but reinforcing it and making sure it sticks. And that's one of the hardest things to do. And the way I've always done it is that I use empathy and I relate to those people. I listen to them. I don't talk to them just about work. I want to know, get to know them. And it's not a token effort at all. People see through that. Yep. And I wear my heart on my sleeve. And if I don't know something, I'm going to go ask them. And chances are they're experts at it and I'm not. And why not empower them and listen to them and just say, that's great. What do you need from me to help you do that? And tell them to run with it. And more than likely, they're going to embrace it and help others embrace it as well. So the best technique is empathy and relating to one another as a person on an individual basis. And that works. It doesn't matter what industry. That's what is going to get them to trust you. It's interesting. I So I it's fascinating. You actually use the word empathy. We've talked about this on a bunch of the other podcasts. One of the things I have found and, you know, we're only 20, 15, 20 episodes into frontline innovators thus far. But one of the common themes that I've seen thus far is that everybody that we've talked to, or most everybody, has had some connection to frontline workers. They perhaps used to be one, 
or they have a family member, a brother or sister, you know, um, a parent that had been in one of the roles that's very similar to the environment that they're working in. And so when they talk about empathy, they don't mean it just as uh, awareness, but that they can really, to the extent possible, put themselves, put themselves in the shoes of, of those folks. And it's a really interesting common theme that we're starting to see pop up here. And I, I think it's really important. And, and it's one of the reasons that we've always advocated for our team to, in our day job, to kind of go out and visit with the men and women in the field that we're going to be providing technology solutions for so that we can learn from them exactly as you said today. And just, uh, you know, even if we've never done their job to at least do the best that we can understand a day in their life so that, you know, we're just not making a bunch of decisions from an air conditioned conference room and expecting them to embrace it. And so it's uh, really interesting to hear you talk about that the way that you did. Yeah, it's, I mean, you nailed it on the head. You know, you've got to get to know them and you got to understand them. You might not know exactly what they do, you know, and, and granted, that's not necessarily our, our job because we all have different roles, just like a sports team. You don't expect if we're talking about baseball for a pitcher to be the best guy at batting, you know, it's we have our roles, but he does need to understand that or depending on what sport, whatever analogy you want, is basically getting out there, helping them, listening to them, figuring out what can help them in doing it. Now, it, we can make it very complicated. We could use a lot of technical terms. We could say high-level words and vague expressions and motivational things, but empathy honesty, sincerity, that's what helps our, our life and our business. Yeah. It's uh. one of the greatest things I ever did at the, a few companies back. And I should point out that uh, the past three out of four companies I've worked at have been bought out whether it was because of necessity or because it was from a profitability standpoint. So I have a pretty good viewpoint of seeing how that changes culture. Um, two different companies, same industry, but they don't click. So you've got to find a way to work together because you don't have a choice unless you don't want a paycheck. Right. So, you know, it's just a matter of finding a way to connect in those soft skills. And at this one company, they literally taught a course for an entire week on soft skills. You know, that doctor's bedside manner. You know, how does that one person who sees 100 patients a day, especially now, connect with that one person in bed who needs their help? and gives them that will to fight and to try. And that's what we've got to do as managers with our frontline workers. Yeah. What, what do you think makes technology adoption for deskless, you know, frontline workers different from what we would typically think about as corporate or knowledge workers? Do you think there are any differences there? I think the gap is changing and it's closing in. As technology advances and it's going at such a high rate, it 
it's closing the gap. We don't have so many silos as we used to in hierarchical organizations with different metrics, different goals, different drivers. We're seeing the executive vice president of operations walking out in full protective gear into the plant to go help one of the frontline workers fix a boiler. And it's like, I've never seen that. But that's what I'm seeing now. And it builds trust. And it builds the fact that these guys and gals are seeing an executive working side by side within social distancing practices. Right. Out there fixing it because he or she knows what needs to be done because they've either come from the front line or they've spent enough time out there with the front line that it wasn't a token effort and it was sincere. And they spent time to truly understand how it can, their job and the other person's job connect. And we're all on the same team. Now we have different responsibilities. That's for sure. Um, Quite frankly, I don't think I could at this age put on full protective gear in the Houston heat and a hard hat and steel toe shoes and fire protective gear, gloves, and last more than an hour out there. But I will at least try. And if you have that willingness, you can bridge that gap. Yeah. I. One thing I'm curious, and I, I want to try and ask this question without applying too much of my own bias on this, but when we think about the differences between, you know, frontline deskless workers and some of the folks at, at corporate, um, do you, I think that we've witnessed some uh, a different level of fear and discomfort about the tech potentially replacing frontline workers where I, I don't think that the typical corporate worker feels as threatened. They may not like that there's an ERP change happening. So there's still a change management consideration, but I don't think that they feel as threatened that, you know, if we go from Oracle to SAP or SAP to Oracle or whatever the case may be, that their job is going away and they may feel like it's going to make their job more difficult, but not that it's going to go away where it seems like with frontline workers, they do have that fear sometimes. And I wonder when you think about the ad car model that I'm learning from all of the change management professionals that I've been you know, meeting with, from a desire standpoint, might that affect their desire that they feel like, geez, if, if we embrace this technology too much, I'm going to work myself right out of a job. What are your thoughts on that? And, you know, and by the way, I don't think I did a good job of asking the question without my bias. <laughs> so I'll say that. Right. You know what? Sometimes, you know, you just got to say something straight up. Yeah. So I'm just curious to get your take on that, though. You've now kind of heard my take. I, I do think that there's some fear there, but I'm curious. Would you validate that or do you, or do you think that that's just not the case? I would validate it, but I would also tell you that I think the pendulum is swinging in favor of the frontline worker based on how technology is changing and how the older, more experienced workforce is starting to re retire and the younger generation is coming on board. And I think it's the opposite to where the upper managers are more scared of technology than the frontline workers because the frontline workers know how to do it. To me, I'm still trying to learn the new iPhone that I ordered. 
So, you know, it's, it seems intuitive, but it's not. And yet my 30 year old operations supervisor who's working today and blowing up my phone with all sorts of videos and messages and you name it, I'm having to look it up going, what are you talking about? And to make speed things up, he's using emoticons. And it's like, wait, what is that? What code is that? <laughs> what does that mean? You need know? a translator, an emoticon translator. I do. You know? that's, that's an app idea. Somebody out there should build that app. Yeah. Yeah. Codes. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like the Morse code, you know, yeah. back years ago, you know, you had those little, okay, these dots mean this and, and whatnot. But yes, there is fear. There's fear on each side. And you've got to move, you've got to find a way to move forward at the same pace. And you've got to find a middle ground to come together and agree on it so it works. Because it's just like any system you put in place, technology or not, if you are not on the same page at the same point, it's not gonna work. So that goes back to my mother's philosophy of teaching and helping people understand in a language they can understand. Because as a planner, a change management specialist, and a gentleman who's worked through different jobs that are on the opposite side of the coin, we've got to find a way to speak in their language. And I'm not talking culturally, which is another ball game altogether as the world shrinks thanks to technology. Right. But we have to understand that an accountant isn't going to know production cycle times. Okay. Are you dealing with mechanical manufacturing where tolerances are very tight? Or are you dealing with chemicals to where based on the temperature outside, you've got a wider variance. One day you might have 78% capacity in a tank the temperature changes overnight you got 60 percent. what the heck happened to our inventory so it could be technology it could be just a hey your location of where you work you've got to find a way to communicate and explain it to everyone throughout the organization regardless of their level and the frontline workers, I think, are gaining more of an edge on us than we are on them now. So if anything, we've got to find a way to catch up. Yeah. You know, one of my favorite quotes that's come of the podcast series uh, was actually one that my colleague Gene uh, had done with Jen McComas from IBM. And she said, you know, we need to think of technology as something that we do with frontline workers, not to frontline workers. And I may not be quoting her exactly, but but that's the spirit of what she was saying. And combining that sentiment with what you just said makes me realize something else, that if we're saying it's the frontline workers and the rest of us that have to do this together, saying with and not to, there's yeah. also an obligation for everybody else in the organization to uh, adapt to the change as well. And, and I have, I, I won't say any specifics on this because uh, they're a customer of mine separately, but we, we, uh, we saw something recently where actually the leadership team is actually struggling more with the change than the frontline workers. Yeah. And 
that was kind of a, a light bulb moment for me where we said, you know, we've, we've spent so much time with this team focused on change management for their frontline workers. And I think we have a very solid plan. They're using our technology. So a little plug for, our, you know, my day job here, but you know, what's interesting is that the leadership team hasn't fully embraced everything that's been put in place. And it really, you know, there's a chance that it could sabotage the ultimate success. And when we say with, with is a two-way street. It has to go both ways. And we have to do that stuff together. It has to be not just something that we're, all right, we've given you these extra tools. We've change managed you into success, right? So yeah. here, here are the tools, <laughs> right? Now go be successful. We, we actually have to be active, um, you know, change champions ourselves and, and, um, you know, be supportive of that. So it's, it's really interesting that you bring up that point. Yeah. I mean, you, you pretty much summed up our conversation. It's gotta be with, yeah. it's gotta be a team and you either move together forward or you move backward together. So, you know, we've, we've got to work on those soft skills to make technology work for us. And to take advantage of it because our competitors will, I guarantee it. I've seen it happen. I've been in company buyouts, three out of four of my last jobs. Those who work together as a team with each other will outpace those who don't. Yeah. And that's what happens because the bottom line is that results matter. So, yeah, somebody sent me some stats this morning and I, I, I didn't um, memorize them enough to, to recite the stats specifically. But one of the points was made is that in, in a tight labor market right now, some of the things that are keeping people with a job or causing people to leave a job are their feeling of um, uh, team teamwork inside the organization. So that would attract somebody to a job where they feel like uh, they can go into an environment where there's a lot of team support and it would also push them away from a job and when, when they don't have that experience. And so when we have such a tight labor market as we do today, and we're trying to onboard, you know, as many people as we are, especially in these frontline uh, roles, uh, we've, you know, we've got to pay very close attention to that, right? Because there's some real costs in, and just aside from just the cost of recruiting and keeping people, there's also a, a huge customer experience cost of just having such, you know, significant turnover. So um, there, there's a lot to think about there. And I think it makes, you know, a, a lot of sense for, for the teamwork aspect. I, I want, I, I knew we were going to be uh, kind of getting close here very quickly. And, and but I, I'm interested to hear what you would say that you love about working with technology overall. I, I think I get a sense for some of that from some of your earlier uh, points, but I just love to kind of hear explicitly about what do you really enjoy about working with technology? It's fast pace. It keeps me focused. I get bored very easily. I always have. It doesn't matter if it's work, school, life, what have you. I guess you could say that's who I am. Um, I've always been given a lot of freedom as a person, thanks to my family, and to try new things. I, th I can only, I can see the pros and cons of technology, but I also know there's no slowing down. So if we keep embracing it and finding new ways to look for how to use it, it's just, it keeps me focused and inspired. And I'm not dreading that Monday morning. Oh gosh, I got to wake up at what? What hour? And, you know, Sunday nights aren't that bad. You know, I'm, I'm ready to go Monday morning. 
it's crazy. You know, 20 years ago, I was not. <laughs> I was yeah. going, oh, gosh, I don't want to go. Maybe I could call in sick. But nowadays, you never know what's going to happen. What and are some of the disadvantages? Any, any disadvantages that come to mind? Disadvantages are simply, oh, my gosh, I just bought this product. It's already outdated in a month. Yeah. And I, it just took me six months to learn this one. Now I got to adapt. You know, I, it's not as easily done as if I were much younger. So sometimes yeah. we have the same change management challenges ourselves using the technology that we have to do with our jobs as those, you know, users that we're trying to support with, with other roles, right? So I'm going to end it with that one story we talked about on what excites me about technology. And this relates to safety. And it was a story I told you, and I think I blew your mind because only in Houston or certain parts of the country would you hear these things. We were talking about truck drivers unloading tanker trucks at plants. Okay, so I'm sitting in my office at my job and I'm watching these two experienced professionals unload a very dangerous chemical and they're following every safety pattern in the book. I mean, the safety record at our company is great and I'm I will brag and brag about it because I've been in other places and it's been terrible. And it's the worst thing to ever experience is that guilt because you can never get rid of it especially if you had a chance to stop it is I'm watching the tanker truck guys set up, follow the procedures, unload the truck, hook it up safely. It's 120 degrees off that asphalt and that heat. And out my window, 10 feet away is basically the line of trees of the woods in a bayou because Houston has a lot of bayous. We're on the ship channel. It's an international city with international ports. It's important to be there. And out of all things, I see an alligator come out of the woods, walking right toward them. Now, this is not like a tiger or a lion that's going to make noise and growl and roar and let them know they're about to be prey. These gentlemen are in the heat, they're sweating, they're feeling it, they're trying to get the job done safely and efficiently. And I had the beauty of having their cell phone numbers and I could immediately call and text them and blow their phones up and say, look behind you, because that gator was about five feet from them by the time I did. So that is the most interesting and and proud, one of the proudest moments I've ever had is being able to help prevent a safety thing that you would never, ever think in college or any time in your career it could happen. But it happened. And no, I didn't videotape it because of company policy. Um, I wish I had because it would have been a great safety training video. I was going to say your safety department probably <laughs> wishes they had some footage of that. Yeah. And yeah. I sit right next door to the, the safety manager's office. So, um, I, you know, we get along very well. But watching that happen was surreal. And thank goodness for technology. 
I could prevent that from happening. I can't say I've witnessed any experiences. That story does blow my mind. It it really, I, I wouldn't even say it surprises me. I think it's it's the part that makes me think so much about the men and women that are on the front lines. They're, they're doing their jobs in such difficult circumstances, in difficult places, with difficult weather, um, difficult traffic considerations. I mean, just so many things, so many variables that are in their day. And you know, I, I think if there's one thing that COVID's just driven me completely nuts about, it's it's here in the rest of the workforce. You know, as I said before, just, you know, complain about Zoom calls and team calls and, you know, to work at home or to not work at home. And I'm like, man, you guys are so sheltered that, you know, there's an entire, the majority of the workforce doesn't even get to ask that question. So we just need to shut up and stop whining about where we're working because all of us that spend most of our time behind a desktop computer, uh, you know, we have a very fortunate situation, whether it's an air conditioned office or an air conditioned kitchen, you know, we've got it pretty good. And the men and women that we're serving out on the front lines, are, are almost always doing their job in far more challenging circumstances with a lot more variables. And so I think the message that I think you and I share is we have to be more sensitive. Yes, we need to continue to implement technology for the men and women on the front lines. Yes, we need to continue to expect more from the business and, and drive for efficiency improvements and things like that. But we do need to do it with better communication and better levels of empathy where we really understand you know, where they're at and, uh, and make sure that we're keeping that stuff in mind as we try to implement that change. It's such a great story. That's very true. You know, safety first and appreciating what you have and not wishing what you don't and yep. looking out for one another. You know, that makes the drive home and traffic not so bad. That's true. Especially when you can go home with a clear conscience and you feel, you feel good that you've helped. And no matter how hard work gets as we progress through this, you know, pandemic, it's not as bad as it could be for us. And let's try and make that the same for our employees. I think that's a fantastic point for us to, to wrap this up. I've really, really enjoyed the conversation today. So thank you very much for, for carving out the time. It was good to visit with you on the pre-call and, and on today's yeah. session as well. So thank you for that. Um, we are going to have to wrap it up here. Um, if you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have, and if so, please share and rate the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit our website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you very much for your time today, man. I really enjoyed getting to meet you, Jimmy. 